Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. I applaud that attempt to uh, bring in a whole new fold of younger kids into understanding the game. Should all games be on Nickelodeon? <laughs> Going forward? I don't know. I thought, I thought it was great. That sounds like it's about my level. <laughs> At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Once again, I'm Lou Katz with the honor of welcoming you to the podcast that does its darn best to keep you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. And I certainly don't do it alone. Please welcome from Vulture and WTOP Radio, the one, the only, Jen Chaney. Hello. And this week's guest critic, entertainment editor, and resident maven of WTOP Radio, the guy who hasn't been in the studio there in almost a year. It's Jason Fraley. Hey, Lou. Yeah, working remotely. What a weird year this has been. <laughs> He's a maven remote or in person. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, ladies and gentlemen, to round things out, the guy who gave his first interview back in 1973, that's 1973, not 1873, and the powers that be have not yet stopped him from doing his reviews. You know him, you love him, Arch Campbell. That's right. And uh, a movie cost a nickel back then <laughs> and they've gone downhill ever since so here we are and it's so good to have this panel together and let me start by asking Jen what are you recommending this week I am recommending a show that was on streaming for a little while and got taken off and is now back and that show is Freaks and Geeks uh, a oh. single season one of the best coming of age shows ever made uh, it's now on Hulu and it's on Hulu with its soundtrack completely intact so all the original music that was in the show is is there which is crucial for people not familiar um this is uh, a show that takes place in 1980 following a bunch of teens at a high school in michigan um and just really looking at the absolute horrors of adolescence and it's hard for me to think of a tv show with a cast that is that went on to do so many extraordinary things you know linda cardellini james franco jason siegel seth rose Logan, Martin Starr. It was just all these people when they were very young, pretty much their first thing. And, and they've gone on to have really lengthy careers ever since. How far back does Freaks and Geeks go? What year did that uh, air? It came on in 1999. Mm, wow. Not to so mention its creator years. went on to do Bridesmaids and all those movies. Right. Paul Feig oh, and, and certainly and Judd Apatow, who was uh, a producer, has, has gone on to do quite a lot, too. Well, and uh, let me follow up on that. Jason, what are you recommending? ending this week uh well i i know we were gonna get i, I, I we're gonna get into one night in miami in a mm-hmm. second but i finally i watched that uh, a couple weeks ago and been waiting to roll out that review i really liked it i think more than than you did arch listening to the show <laughs> maybe i'm more in jen's camp on that one um but we'll get to that in a minute um i actually finally caught up with uh news of the world the tom hanks movie mm-hmm. i was i was pleasantly surprised i wasn't sure how much i would like it i actually hadn't read the book so maybe that affected me but paul greengrass the way he did some of those uh, there was like a, a rocky a mountain, a, a, rock, a rocky mountainous shootout there in the middle that reminded me of like Bogart and High Sierra or or uh, Hell or High Water, like those good shootouts. And I actually found the young actress, uh, she's a German actress, to be quite impressive. It's sort of, I guess you could say it's a little derivative of True Grit searchers. or Ride the High Country. Searchers. Yeah, it's sort of an yeah. yeah, it's an inverted searchers, right? They, uh-huh. they he has uh-huh. to escort her back home rather than going to search for her. But. Uh, 
uh, I actually found her less annoying I, than the one in True Grit. I thought, I thought the True Grit sidekick was always kind of annoying. But she was a great, great young actress. I think she's going to do great things. And Tom Hanks, solid as always. And I enjoyed that it was a, a defense of, of journalism and the truth with him riding town to town, reading the headlines. Um, I found that landing pretty um, timely after the election, too. So all in all, I, I enjoyed News of the World. That's interesting, because I just caught up on News of the World last night. And at first, I kind of resisted it. Oh, yeah, here we go. Another big Western. Oh, look at the big panoramas. And oh, here come the bad guys. But then I really got into it. And by the time it finished, uh, I was sort of moved. I liked it better than I expected. Yes. This weekend, I am recommending MLK FBI, the excellent documentary uh, directed by Sam Pollard that goes deep into the obsession by the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover with Martin Luther King. J. Edgar Hoover is famous for saying that he feared the rise of a black messiah. The FBI says it's clear Martin Luther King Jr. is the most dangerous Negro in America, and we have to use every resource at our disposal to destroy him. It's a great piece of history reminding us that Martin Luther King, his struggle, when we look back on it, we don't realize just how much of a struggle he had and how he was not exactly revered at the level he is now. And it also gets into why Hoover was so obsessed with King. And it's it gets into some interesting shades of gray. And I, I just think it's a, a great uh, piece of history. So we like to start by asking Jen, what is new this week? And I think this is going to lead us to uh, a film you'd like. But uh, but Jen, what, what what's new on your plate? Um, well, there's a new HBO docuseries that starts on Sunday called The Lady in the Dale. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember back in the early 70s when there was a car called The Dale. It was like a three-wheel car. Oh. It was supposed to get like 70 miles to the gallon, and it was... Yeah. It was rolling out at the time that there was a, a huge gas crisis. So it seemed like it was going to be, you know, the future. And the woman who was kind of behind that car, it turned out that she was a con artist. Henry Ford said, you catch things on the, the rising tide, you're doomed to success. She wanted to be known as a trailblazer. As any good criminal, she was thinking several moves ahead. She was also trans and had been previously identified as male and had gotten in a lot of trouble with the law during that part of her life as well. So this docuseries is really interesting in that it's it's uncovering this whole kind of criminal background, but also dealing with how her transgender status affected the way that she was portrayed and covered. And, and uh, it's really, really fascinating. It's four parts. Um, the Duplass brothers produced it. A one knock against it, though, is they clearly didn't have a lot of like archival footage so they had to do a lot of this kind of like animation stuff and visually it's a little bit kind of distracting um you kind of get used to it after a while and i think the story is interesting enough to kind of overcome that but anyway that's something worth uh checking out last week uh i don't know if anybody watches the show blown away on netflix um, but season two oh. is out now, and this is a reality competition show, but it's a reality competition show about glass blowing, which is a thing that I know nothing oh. about wow. uh, or, or didn't until I started watching this show. Um, and just the, the way that, that it's done is so fascinating, just the way they can like heat up the glass and stretch it out and just do all these really interesting things with it. I found it very soothing in a, in a lot of ways. So now, what's that on? It's Who's on Netflix. carrying that? On Netflix. Okay. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know if uh, all of us have seen The Little Things, the new movie that uh, is yeah. coming out on Friday, but that drops uh, technically in theaters, um, but also on HBO Max. Um, and this is a film with Denzel Washington. It's kind of a standard, you know, uh, trying to figure out who a serial killer is. And Denzel's character has some kind of, they don't tell you exactly what it is, but there's something in his past where he's kind of been demoted um, from being a detective, but he gets involved in this case uh, and is kind of working with uh, Rami Malek's character as a partner to, to get to the bottom of, of, of what's going on. What do you want? I want to nail the bastard. For who? For all of the girls he killed? I don't know how you guys felt about it. I, I thought Denzel Washington, of course, was great. I want to nail him too. Difference is... I'm doing it for me. I felt like Rami Malek and Jared Leto, who eventually enters this, were, were in another movie doing a lot of <laughs> acting with a capital A. And I, I, I didn't really think other than Denzel that anything kind of distinguished it too much from being like any other kind of movie uh, in this genre. But I'm curious to know what you guys thought. Yeah, let's jump into this. This is this is one of those HBO Max uh, releases, right? It is, That yeah. Warner Brothers has kind of pushed to uh, HBO. And I, I just want to start by saying, oh, the rogue policeman who comes back to uh, his old precinct that he had to leave because of something bad. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> Everywhere. Every, every week on Law and Order. <laughs> Jason, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I'll echo sort of what you guys are saying. It, it does feel very generic. You'll, you'll think of the many times that it was done better in, you know, Zodiac and Seven and Prisoners and Silence of the Lambs. Like, those are the ones that jump to mind but I, I will admittedly say I'm sort of a I'm sort of a mark for that genre I, I eat that up usually I just love trying to solve the mystery and I guess in the end of this they, it is a little bit they do leave you with a little you know food for thought ambiguity which I guess I admire more than an open and shut case it tries to do a little bit different in the end but yeah I mean Denzel it is a bit of a meteor performance they do have some elements of gosh I don't know almost like ghosts with some supernatural uh, visions and stuff that he has so there are a little bit of elements but yeah I mean, I would say it's sort of, I would say it's like a standard issue 90s serial killer movie. So if you like that, which I tend to do, um, I was, you know, I was gripped by it. But I, yeah, I wouldn't say it's really anything stand out that you'd have to run and see over any of the Oscar nominees. It's quite dark. Uh, and, and then it takes a twist and then a twist on top of the twist. And I suppose I like that. Uh, I would just say, basically, it's one of those, okay, middle of the road, not too bad, kind of good movies that's not great but it's okay and yeah. and i don't know how well it plays on um on television as opposed to uh in a theater and i guess that's going to be my problem for a long time so apparently apparently the director john lee hancock um who you know usually makes sort of like feel good mainstream stuff um he's been trying to get this made for like 30 years i think yeah i think spielberg was supposed to, to yeah this is what you spent 30 years on well really? i, I <laughs> I, I actually I saw a, um, I saw a little Q and A with him, and sounds like he tried to make it as one of his very first forays in Hollywood, like in the early '90s. But Spielberg said it was too dark, and right. he was like, "Well, you just made Schindler's List, so you can do dark." But um, but then I think he put it in a drawer and did a bunch of other stuff and came back. So I don't think it was like a passion project he's tried to get made. And it kind of feels like that. It almost feels like a script you pulled out, out of a drawer in the '90s and made I, I, when you watch it. Yeah, it does. The other quick thing I want to say is that I. I 
I, I find even more than I used to when I'm watching true crime or, or things like this, which are fictionalized, but still in that kind of space. How are the women in this movie? And there are like, there's a couple of female characters. There's the, um, the medical examiner. Um, there's Denzel Washington's ex-wife who's in it for 10 seconds. But most of the women are victims um, of, the, of these crimes. And we and we get no sense of really, oh, and there's the, the other cop, Natalie Morales, who got to do absolutely nothing in this movie. <laughs> our, our, our victims and especially since you know watching um i'll be gone in the dark and um uh you know a couple of other shows that have come out recently where they've done such a much better job of showing female characters and, and even showing victims and t- taking them looking at them as more dimensional human beings um that felt very retrograde and, and annoying to me yeah I, and i that's a really good point jen good i mean there's point. that coroner character i guess but yeah i mean that that's why i think movies like silence of the lambs will rise will be around forever it, it totally it, it speaks to what you're talking about. And also, uh, now that I think about it, Viola Davis in Prisoners. She gets to do Anne Maria Bello as the, the grieving mothers and not to mention Melissa Leo. So yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think that element, it's a good, very good point. That th- that elevates those movies above. Another new movie came up while we were talking, which is One Night in Miami, which I had seen a while ago and both of you have seen it now. And I'll be interested to hear uh, what both of you think. I uh, liked it, but I felt like a lot of the um, you know it's 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 the imagined dialogue that happened on a real meeting between Malcolm X, Jim Brown, Sam Cooke, and Muhammad Ali. Uh, when he was on the cusp of uh, changing from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. And it imagines what went on at a meeting they had. And I, I found the the scenes in the room where uh, Malcolm X preaches to the uh, three celebrities a little, um, a little talky, a little, um, <laughs> I'll think of the word later, a little, little. So what, so uh, enlighten me, tell me where we are. I, I, liked it a lot actually you're right that it is very talky i mean it's based on a play um and it is pretty dialogue driven but i thought that the dialogue was really what they were talking about to me was very thought-provoking this whole idea of you know malcolm x was really pushing especially sam cook to do more to really um use his celebrity to speak out and and be part of the the civil rights movement in a more uh, aggressive way and you know he makes arguments that you know just because i'm not necessarily singing at this point about those things that doesn't mean there are, that I'm not um, doing things to help the Black community. And I just found that whole conversation really, really interesting. And I thought the performances in it were just excellent all, all the way around. So I, I agree with you that it was talky, but I but it didn't bother me that it was talky. I, I was still engaged with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed it too. And I, I mean, I hear your point, Arch. I, I, you definitely can tell it's it's based on a play. So, you know, if, if a viewer wants something that's more opened up and out in different scenes, they might not enjoy it. But to Jen's point, yeah, I really did I think they got a lot of mileage out of those conversations particularly um, Malcolm X putting on a, a Bob Dylan record Bob blowing in the wind and he's like see this Sam Cook mm, listen to this like where, where where are you doing your social conscious lyrics and uh, so he seems like he has the moral high ground but then Sam Cook pushes back and says you know well I in my own quiet way set an example by owning the the rights to my own masters and I'm leading the charge in that so I thought the conversations were really really sort of compelling and the acting yeah 
especially the Cassius Clay character, sort of maybe you could say a bit of a caricature, but Ali sort of was over the top himself. So, but I, th I thought the performances were compelling, particularly Malcolm X and uh, Sam Cooke and Jim Brown underrated too. Um, but I think what I really appreciated was how in such an intimate setting, I mean, they're mostly in the hotel room the whole time, that Regina King as a director, I thought she kind of opened it up as much as she could. There's these little vertical bars in the room, in the wall that I noticed a little trick where she's trying to do a little symbolism that Sam Cooke, you know, he died in a hotel room tragically, mysteriously, but she shoots him, Sam Cooke through those bars a lot. I think foreshadowing is doomed. So I think she did a lot of stuff in that small space that I admired. I think it repays on repeat watch actually. Mm -hmm. Do you think they should have uh, done more with, uh, you know, Sam Cooke was uh, killed in a motel room a few months after this happened. Uh, he didn't live to see 1965. And I kept waiting to see if there would be some kind of reference to that. And uh, and there wasn't. Do you think they should have? Or you, you think that's just a footnote that only uh, guys like me remember? Uh, I was just going to say, I think given, you know, they have the title card at the end about, you know, how soon after all of this Malcolm X died, mm -hmm. I feel like it would have been maybe pertinent to to add that to the title card um, or, or have another title card that, that addresses that as well. Because I honestly had forgotten that that happened. And even if, you know, Regina King was doing some things visually, as you said, Jason, to allude to it. I think maybe acknowledging it a little more directly just would have been, I don't know, not necessary, but I think it adds another layer to it. That's fair. And I do um, I do think that the fact, knowing that the two of um, two of them died, Malcolm X and Sam Cooke died within a year of these event, events is really, it lends a power to that final cut to black where, you know, Malcolm is watching Sam Cooke sing a change is going to come for the very first time on national television. You know, it's, it's that moment he nods to the camera in acknowledgement to their conversation earlier, you know, when are you going to write a social justice song? And then uh, it cuts to black as Malcolm closes his eyes. So I think visually, knowing that they both die, I think King, Regina King does have it in there. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you add a couple words into that that text. It's it, That postscript text is always tricky because you, you don't want to handhold. But I thought it was, I thought it was well done. Well, there are some very powerful scenes in it. I just, I felt a little constrained sometimes when she stayed in the uh, motel room. The uh, opening scene with the character who plays Jim Brown is just uh, just knocks you off your uh, your couch. So I may have uh, erred in comparing it to Ma Rainey, which is also a play and which uh, of course is uh, knocked everything out of the park because of uh, the great performances in that. So I bow to both of you on One Night in Miami. Uh, let's see. Before we take a break, uh, the Golden Globes are about to um, make their nominations, and I'm wondering if we'd like to speculate on what they might come up with movie-wise for uh, the best drama and the best comedy. Are they still going to do this when they're saying they're going to do this? Because they're supposed to be held at the end of February, and, and at least as of this moment, I think the plan is still to do them in person. And I don't know how exactly that's going to work in light of the mm. pandemic. I mean, the Grammys got pushed back even further a week or two ago. Uh, and so I'm just kind of waiting for that announcement to come that like, actually, we're going to wait on these, but huh. maybe they won't. I don't know. Well, the Oscars are April 25th. Hmm. Well, now that that's, <laughs> that's an interesting thought. If the Golden Globes <laughs> nominated. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know, they're planning to announce the nominees next week. So might as well. We can we can predict, I think. 
yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. What What do we think for uh, best drama? You think uh, Ma Rainey and One Night in Miami are both in there? I think Nomadland is in there for sure. I think that's, mm -hmm. to me, that's the lock. And I think Ma Rainey could be in there. And maybe yeah. One Night in Miami, I'm not sure. But Nomadland is the one that I feel like is a definite. I think Ma, I think One Night in Miami and Ma Rainey, the two we mentioned, I think they'll definitely be in there. I think Trial of the Chicago 7 will be in there. We haven't mentioned that, but I feel like that's a solid pick as a nominee. I don't, I don't know if it'll win, but I think it'll be nominated. And then I think Nomadland is is probably the favorite. I feel like that's running away with everything this award season. Nomad, no one except the three of us has seen Nomadland. <laughs> it's great. Well, I, I, it's one of my favorites. It's certainly a top 10 for the entire year. Uh, when does Nomadland? February 19th, maybe? I'll double check. Yeah, it's in February. Theaters. So it'll, it'll have been out um, or, or available before the Golden Globe Awards ceremony is held. It's on Hulu on the February 19th, which is, I know, oh. <laughs> it's sort of one of my pet peeves. That I wish movies, I wish audiences had more time to see movies before the, the award shows, because then they'd have more of a dog in the fight, but. Oh, and I'm going to go off script here and say I am noticing that the films that are on uh, streaming that aren't on HBO Max or Hulu or Netflix are, you can download them, and they're 1995. 1995 seems to be the new price. Uh, what do we think of that? I mean, you know, if if you've got a, a, a spouse or a partner watching with you or, or more than, you know, or maybe two or three people, it's still cheaper than a movie ticket would have been. But if you're just watching by yourself, yeah, that might be, especially when you add up how much you're paying for, for just to subscribe to all these services, that could be cost prohibitive. It um, seems a little high to me. Especially yeah. if you just wait long enough, it'll probably be on one of the services that you're paying for. Yeah, <laughs> There's another movie that I'm interested in uh, and to see if it starts showing up at awards time and it's Promising Young Woman, which you can download, but it's 1995. Uh, any thoughts on Promising Young Woman? I really liked it. I thought it was really, really well done, really thought provoking. And I could see, I don't know if it'll get a best picture, but I could see Karen Mulligan getting nominated because she was excellent in that. Now it did, I don't know if these are tea leaves to read, but it so uh, the performances absolutely it sounds like, but it did not get nominated. What, what was the awards that just got announced? Was it AFI? AFI, yeah, mm. AFI. Um, so that'll be interesting. And then what? Uh, speaking of which, sorry to sidetrack, but the Five Bloods just won National Board of Review yesterday, so that made it a little interesting. The Five Bloods, I thought was, uh, I didn't think it was one of Spike's best, but it was solid, a cool concept. But I am a little surprised that it won. I think it's more of a Chadwick Boseman supporting Delroy Lindo mm -hmm. lead actor contender. It might get nominated, uh, but Promising Young Woman. You said it's 1999. I think it's the new releases are 20 bucks. If you wait to like, I think it's like five bucks if you wait for, let's say, First Cow or something, which I loved, or I just caught up with Miss Juneteenth. I think that was like three bucks because they've been out mm -hmm. since the summer. So uh, I think Promising Young Woman's probably going to be more for acting and screenplay, I would say. My uh, MLK is 595, which, uh, you know, I think is right on the money. So for best drama, we certainly should add uh, to Five Bloods and I guess News of the World. Will that come through or is there much around News of the World? I think it could for the Oscars when they have like nine or ten nominees, you know, but uh, mm -hmm. I believe the Globes is only like five for drama and five for comedy, yeah. right? I don't. I think yeah. it'll miss, miss out of that. I think Mank is a contender to get in there. Um, yeah. I wish First Cow was, but it's not. And then don't forget Judas and, Judas and the Black Messiah hasn't come out yet either, but that's getting mm -hmm. some 
Simba. That's next week, I think. We should talk about that next week. Yeah. And I wish Sound of Metal was going to be in there. I really think that's like an underdog dark horse that I just loved. Did you see Sound of Metal, uh, Jen? No, that's I have a long list of things that I still need to watch, and that's on it. It is truly worth watching. It's another one of those where you kind of resisted at first, and it wins you over. It's quite good. Mm-hmm. So if Golden Globes nominates comedies, where are we on that? Well, I think it's it's technically it's musical comedy, which means mm. the prom is definitely going to get nominated. Good. Because the Hollywood Foreign Press, they tend to like Ryan Murphy projects anyway, and there's really, there's no other musical to, for it to compete against because <laughs> West Side Story got pushed and... and uh, if we're counting Hamilton, Hamilton, Hamilton. could be yeah. factor, um, whether they, it could either win nothing or everything, you know, whether they decide to count that, you know, whether voters are like, let's, let's you know, award it as a film or not. That, that's going right. to be the key, you know. But if it's not musical, will a movie like On the Rocks or Palm Springs or Borat uh, will be get in there? And will they put Promising Young Woman in there, which would really, as a comedy? I don't think it's running in that side of things, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's, I think they're slating it for drama, but yeah, the Globes is always weird how they do those dramedies. It could go either way, but I guess I'm rooting for, you know, with the exception of sort of the Hamilton thing, which I guess I'd be fine if it won everything. If if we're going to count it, let it win at everything. But if not, then I would say I'm rooting for Palm Springs or maybe Borat. I could see um, Maria Bakalova and even Sasha Baron Cohen winning for, you know, on the actors for comedy musical. But Palm Springs, I think, was my favorite of any of the most creative, I guess, a little derivative of Groundhog Day, but it really re, re reimagined it. I think that would be my favorite to win. Well, that's an interesting uh, pack of movies, even in this year where, uh, you know, I think what what's the box office down? 90%, 80%. We've seen most everything uh, at home on our couch. It'll be interesting to see how this plays long term. Mm-hmm. And comedies and musicals <laughs> are one of those genres that you really do want to see on a big screen with an audience. I yeah. think you really heard yeah. that. Yeah. Promising Young Woman. I really would have loved to have seen that with an audience just to see people uh, squirm and scream uh, like Get Out. So, well, that's interesting. Well, listen, uh, Lou, let's uh, tell us about the world of uh, Hound Radio. Well, the world of Hound Radio centers around dogs. It's a big surprise, right, Arch? (laughs) And Jen, I know you have two four-legged companions at your place, and I think you're going to find this report from Faith Lapidus very interesting about how to winterize your pets. Hound Radio pauses the music for another wonderful look into the world of dogs with Faith Lapidus. Even though it may not feel like it, it is winter. And just as we take steps to winterize our home, we need to winterize our dogs. Some breeds, like huskies and shepherds, are comfortable in the cold. Short-haired breeds, not so much. They might appreciate a doggy coat when you go out on walks. And there are a few things to keep in mind during winter walks. Watch out for antifreeze spills. Even a little can make your dog very sick. And while you may use pet safety icer, not everyone does. So wipe your pup's paws when you get home so they don't accidentally digest it. If you can get them to wear those little booties, even better. Dry off your dog if his coat gets wet, since it can lose its insulating ability. If dogs are outside in extreme cold temperatures for too long, they can develop hypothermia. Remember, if it's too cold for you, it's too cold for your dog. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio. 
the movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. Jason, didn't you just get a dog? <laughs> yeah, we did. A little black lab. He's so with cute. Something. Oh yeah, you guys saw it on Facebook. Yeah, I saw yeah, your she, picture. Yeah, she is adorable. We're we're obsessed, but yeah, I feel like I'm not sleeping much. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she's she's freaking adorable. Jason, you're waving your hand there. Oh, I was just gonna say we didn't do any globe. Uh, we didn't TV do the TV for, ones. Did you have any ideas? Um, yeah, I mean, I I I think they are gonna do what they always do, which is kind of try to go for some new newer stuff. So like, I certainly expect them to nominate Shit's Creek, but I think they're gonna nominate something like Ted. Ted Lasso or things yeah. that have, have come out since the Emmy nominations that people are, are talking about more now. Right. I'll just be interested to see if they uh, jump onto the third season of Ozark because I'm a big fan and uh, that seems to be building rather than the other way. Uh, while we're talking here, uh, can we mention and say uh, a word about Larry King? I just want to say that Hank Stuver in the Washington Post wrote a wonderful appreciation of the late Larry King and praised his ability to ask the dumb question. <laughs> and I just, I just, I miss that kind of television. And uh, I don't know where we're going uh, now, but I wish we had a Larry King on TV now. You guys have any thoughts? I mean, I thought Hank's piece was great. I just, I, I still have mixed feelings about, not necessarily the dumb question, because I do think there's value in that. Mm -hmm. But I, there's also the side of me that, you know, I feel like if your job is to interview people, you should maybe prepare in advance. And Larry King famously didn't do that. And I'm sure you probably saw that uh, clip of him with Jerry Seinfeld started circulating, <laughs> where he asked him if, or, or the network's decision to end Seinfeld. And he's like, like still the number one show. Like, <laughs> you think I got canceled? Are you under the impression uh, that I, I got canceled? You, I hurt you, Jerry? I thought don't, that was pretty well documented. This is most a, shows is this go little down. CNN? Don't most shows go down a little? Most people do also. You but... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I went off the air. I was the number one show on television, Larry. You were Do all you know who I am? <laughs> Jewish guy, Brooklyn. Yes. Okay. 75 well, million viewers last okay. episode. Boy, you don't take like it so canceled. bad. Well, that's a, a big difference between being canceled and being number one. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> and guys, I'm just going to inject the fact that he truly was sorry, as proven by this interview a few years later on. I should have known that. But, but I was stupid. I should have. Hey, you can be. You can't know everything. I wasn't um, canceled, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Although Seinfeld said that a lot of that was uh, joking. Oh, I think he was, but it's still. But there's a kernel of truth in the joke, which is yeah. hello. Yeah. Pay attention. Now, speaking of those two, Seinfeld did uh, years ago. Um, he credited Larry King with basically inventing the concept of the short blurbs of Twitter uh, with those little blurbs he used to do in USA Today, those little like right, one-liner yes. thoughts. So I don't think, I think Seinfeld, yeah, like, maybe he was like a fan of Larry King overall, but we interviewed Larry King because he used to actually broadcast over WTOP a long time ago. Before right, right. We went to CNN. From the nation's capital, you're listening to The Larry King Show. Once again, Network Radio's number one interviewer, Larry King. Thank you, Fred Larry. Good evening, everybody. On this uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning across the United States, this is The Larry King Show, coast to coast on Mutual Art. He came in the studio, and I sat down with him for, like, probably a half hour or an hour and just asked all of his, you know, his favorite interviews and the like. I think he said his favorite president he interviewed was Clinton, his favorite... 
His most awestruck guest was when he talked to Frank Sinatra. He said he was just blown away. He says he w- the people he wishes he could have interviewed was uh, Clark Gable and Humphrey Bogart. So it was cool. It was cool talking with him. It was really, really. And the Ross Perot thing happened on his set. And I he always mentioned that Ross Perot announced he would run for president on Larry King Live. So uh, Marty Barron is leaving the Washington Post, which uh, allows me to, shall we speak? Have anybody checked with uh, Leon Schreiber? <laughs> <laughs> he was so good as, as Marty Barron in Spotlight. He really was. Love that movie. And on, honestly, like you could put, uh, for, for because of that movie, the name Marty Barron will ju- be just like um, Jason Robert's uh, Ben Bradley and All the President's Men. I think those, he elevated it, not that he needed to be elevated because the the Boston Globe uh, investigation into the Catholic Church, and then now his work at the Washington Post will stand on on its own. But uh, in terms of pop culture, I think Schreiber elevated him. Did you ever hear the line, uh, Ben Bradley could not be with us today. However, we've hired Jason Robards to answer your questions. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's riding on this except for uh, the First Amendment and freedom of the Constitution. It's great. So, Jen... How about throwing some flashbacks and favorites at us? So uh, in light of the fact that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Freaks and Geeks returned to streaming this week, I'm wondering if there's an, an old television show that isn't currently streaming that you really wish somebody would bring back so that you could watch it at, at your leisure in its entirety. Oh, man. Wow. Jason? I mean, the first thought that came to mind... I mean, my favorite show ever is Seinfeld, but you can find that <laughs> any day on cable. Yeah. Um, I feel like I can't really find Cheers that often. It w- I mean, it's got to be streaming somewhere, right? It's on Netflix, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe that doesn't answer your question, but that is one I would love to go back and watch start to finish again. I think It that- holds up really beautifully. It's so good. Well, and I hate to say this, but a lot of the... the- of the uh, shows that I fondly remember I have seen, like some of the early Saturday Night Lives, mm-hmm. and they're not nearly as good. <laughs> as <laughs> That's the danger. Go back and it turns out <laughs> it wasn't as good as I thought. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say your show of shows. I'd like to just see what one of those looks like. You know, the thing that Sid Caesar did in the late 40s and early 50s from Studio 8H that was uh, the beginning of uh, live TV. That's my guess. And Jen, you posed the question. Yeah, my my answer is Moonlighting. I, I think it's a, an actual oh, that Moonlighting cool. is not available to stream anywhere. That was such an influential show for me, and it, it broke a lot of, uh, creatively broke a lot of boundaries, and uh, I would love to... I have it on DVD, some of it on DVD, but I would love to be able to watch it on streaming. So, uh, Lewis, we seem to be running down on time. Any last words, any best bets uh, for the weekend? Anything else we want to say? I'm MLK, and uh, Jen is uh, Freaks and Geeks. Jason is uh, News of the World. Okay, news of the World, One Night in Miami. Uh, I'll, I'll second your MLK FBI. I, I thought it was a very powerful mm-hmm. movie, although a lot of it's a lot of the files aren't under declassified until 2027. But it's still, you know, just like uh, Ava DuVernay's Selma, it really shows the the J. Edgar Hoover spying stuff. It's really disturbing, especially when James Comey reads that letter of like blackmail suicide. I mean, it, it's yeah. powerful. Lewis, shall you wrap things up for us? I shall, Arch. You guys were talking about Larry King and some of his more infamous interviews. Well, I have dug up some audio of Larry singing a Lady Gaga song 
while being interviewed by Ryan Seacrest. Check this out. We'll catch you next week right here. Thanks for listening. This is the Cats Podcasting System.